hear much more about Rooted uh, in the coming weeks, but everything you love about this on Sunday morning happens better in a Rooted group. And we want to encourage you to consider this fall joining a Rooted group and uh, just seeing how good it can be in community. Jan will be at the back table if you want more information about that. Good morning, everybody. My name is Gary. Oh, come on. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. I'm so excited about today. Uh, I'm excited about this series, This Is Us, and it seems like every week God has something for us and, uh, and seeing in the Old Testament how we can relate to these ordinary people when God's grace meets you in the ordinary, he infuses you with the extraordinary. And that's never more true than what we're going to look at today, especially in our culture where we are as a culture. So let me pray for us and we'll dive in. Father, I love these people. Uh, you know my heart. I wish I could just stop time and spend time with, uh, with everybody here. But I thank you so much that you uh, are their shepherd and that you can do that very thing and you can infuse love and hope into our lives. I need that. I need a uh, course correction today and I need your word to align my perspective to eternity because I can get discouraged reading headlines on my home pages. So God, we're here to open the word and we're here to be aligned. I pray that you'd meet each one of us and we pray this in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen, right on. Grab your message notes, please, they're right here. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a Pew Bible, page 881 is where we'll be in the Pew Bible. Daniel chapter one, you can either turn on your Bibles or open your Pew Bibles to Daniel chapter uh, one. And we're just gonna jump right in. Let's journey back, let me put some context for where we're going. We're going to Babylon, okay? And we're going 600 years before Christ. Uh, Babylon is actually in present-day Iraq. Uh, the city of Babylon is 80 miles south of current Baghdad. So that's where we're, this whole story takes place in the book of Daniel. I'd encourage you to read the whole book. Uh, it's amazing as a book. Uh, 600 years ago, though, and even today in some ways, the word Babylon connotes excess, sensuality, opulence, power. Babylon was 100% high-octane living. That was Babylon. The word Babylon in the original Hebrew means um, gateway to the gods or city of the gods. Um, and it was amazing. It was a pluralistic culture. What I mean by that is there was no majority God in Babylon. Tons of gods reigned. Pick your God. We don't care that you follow any God. Just pick one and follow that. Does that sound familiar? At all? Okay. Um, and, uh, and then it had phenomenal temples to these gods. As a matter of fact, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, Nebuchadnezzar's hanging gardens, was in Babylon. In 600 BC, if you were anybody doing anything of influence, you were in Babylon. You were on the map. Now, to enter Babylon, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, our main characters today, did, they just recently, a couple decades ago, unearthed the main gate of Babylon. It's called the Ishtar Gate. And there's a replica of it in a museum in Germany. Just by nature of its opulence and size, they were making a statement entering the city. We were about power. We were about pleasure without limit. 
So their strategy in 600 BC as the preeminent power of the known world would be conquer people, uh, decimate their culture, and import the best of the best into the Babylonian uh, culture. In other words, I have three Ds that, that really summarize their strategy. Defeat our enemies, demoralize the people living there, destroy their future by exporting the best of the best and decimating anything culturally in that town, city, country. And we'll see that today when they completely obliterate the temple that was in Jerusalem. And then indoctrinate the best of the best in our culture for three to four years, strip them of everything they have of their foreign known culture and reorient them with new names, new everything. We're gonna see that today too. It's crazy. This story is amazing. And it's a story, the book of Daniel, about four teenage Jewish exiles. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And about them stepping into this culture. Just think, as I did, studying all week, how would I survive? Take away everything I believe about God. Take away my safety. Take away my security. Take my name away. Teach me a foreign language. Indoctrinate me that I am now in a godless culture. The God I followed doesn't exist. And the only way to live is to follow this Babylonian God. How would you survive? This is us. I believe in, in this pluralistic community called the peninsula where we're serving I think we can relate to this. And the question is, how do we live out our convictions in this culture when the cultural current is flowing away from a Christ-centered or God-centered view? What do we do in places like this? What does it mean to stand on convictions? How do we hold convictions humbly and graciously before our culture? What we're going to do is look at that. I've got four principles. I want you to take these to the bank. And let's walk through Daniel chapter 1 and look at this, okay? Are you ready? Okay, okay, good. Oh, I'm so glad you're ready. Here we go. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now you know what's behind besiege. Destroy, demoralize, um, destroy, demoralize, and defeat, Okay. And the Lord delivered. That's critical. Those four words are critical to our first principle, how they survived. Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Scripture does this a lot where it gives the, um, the view from the ground, like what we see. What they saw was a conquest. But what we get in Scripture is the heavenly, eternal view. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar besieged. Nebuchadnezzar ransacked. But God is the one who delivered these people. Really important, it's going to build out our first point. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasuries of his God. Principle number one, how are we going to survive? Not just survive, I don't want you to survive. And frankly, I'm not talking about your hour that we gather here or however long we gather here on a Sunday. Look, it's easy to be a Christian on a Sunday at 11 o'clock. I'm very concerned. God is concerned about what is it like for you at the other 166, 167 hours of the week. How do we do that? Here's the first principle. God's aware and working out the details of our lives. That's the first principle. In other words, God wasn't taking a nap when all this went down. 
You know why these teenagers find themselves in Babylon? God wanted them there. Do you know why you're living on the peninsula right now? It's not because of your intellectual horsepower or because you knocked out that interview and you got that job and you went to the right university and and you got this income level where you can afford to live in this crazy place. No, no. You're here because God wants you here. If you're taking notes, Acts chapter 17, verse 26 will inform this. It's not in your notes. Um, It says this, God has determined the times and the places where people should live. That's why I get so excited when I hear of people moving here and being a part of this church. I'm like, yes, God's bringing in reinforcement to the peninsula. We just had a major church move in a half mile away, an amazing church. And their pastor and I are growing in our friendship. It's, it's great, Herman. And I'm like, I'm like, brother, welcome to the neighborhood. Another warrior in the city. God is on the move. This is awesome. You're not here because by chance. I want you to remember that tomorrow morning when you place your hand on the door to your place of employment. The God of the universe has sent me here. I am here by a divine commission from God himself to reach people my pastor could never reach. Because if I went to the cubicle of your neighbor or your cube mate and said, hi, I'm Gary Gadini. I'm a pastor at PCC. I'd like to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> How would that go over? But you get to preach every day. And you know what your pulpit is? The way you relate to them. The work you put out. Uh, the aroma of Christ coming through you. Listen, in a pluralistic culture like ours, our life speaks loudly. And words are needed. We'll talk about that in a minute. But let's just not step over the obvious. Our life speaks loudly. The only way Daniel survived was to have the conviction, I am here because God put me here. He never lost sight of the fact that God's at work in his life. Maybe his journal would have read like this. Yes, I don't like my circumstances. Yes, it wasn't fun being kidnapped. Yes, I'd want to be in Jerusalem. Yes, I am heartbroken about my family. Yes, this is horrifying. But yes, I'm still in the hands of a supernatural God who's in charge of my life. What would happen tomorrow morning if you had that firm conviction? I'm here because God sent me here to be his ambassador and the way I deploy my trade, whether it's, you know, whatever you do, is an act of worship. You see, uh, we'll get there in a, few, uh, in a few minutes, but you see on page three, it's an amazing quote by Dr. King, uh, that, that whatever you do, in other words, do it for the glory of God. If you're sweeping streets, may it be done with the same vigor that Michelangelo painted his art. If the people of God, when the people of God have this attitude, there's no stopping the movement of God where it's needed most in the biggest mission field in America, the workplace. Okay? So, can you tell, like, I really believe this? Okay. Uh, Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Are you still with me? Awesome. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, page 2 of your notes, uh, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect. Handsome. Now, they, could, they can't control that. That's genetics right there, okay? From here on, they may have a hand in controlling, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, 
qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language. In other words, the king said, I want them to talk like us. He was to teach them the literature. Uh, That word literature actually is uh, everything from history to religious beliefs, all Babylonian cultural propaganda. That's what that word literature means. In other words, I want them to think like us. I want them to believe like us. I want them to behave like us. I really believe with all my heart when I was studying this, I believe the, our arch enemy, the prince of the demon, Satan himself, this is his strategy for every follower of Christ. He wants to indoctrinate you and me to think what he thinks, to believe his lies, to live a life of mediocrity and blend into our culture. I believe the Nebuchadnezzar figure in Daniel is actually Satan himself for those of us living in a foreign land, which we are. Do you know, in the scripture, the most common uh, moniker given for followers of Christ in the story arc of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, you know what it is? Exile. We are in exile. We are not home. This is not our home. We are living in a culture that God loves. Look what I put in principle number two. It's God full, small g, God. It's God less, capital G, God. And it's God loved, capital G. That's our culture. Tons of idols out there. Uh, God loves these people. The God of the Bible isn't renowned and isn't respected in our culture. And God has us in this very culture. How do we live in a way as to not get swept up by the culture, rather we influence? Where do we find the inner fortitude to stand up to the unbelievable current and pressure on us in the culture to conform? The book of Daniel has those answers. I'll give you the spark notes. I'll give you the answer. Somehow Daniel was saturated with the word. We're going to see that. You know what the word was to Daniel? It was his lens. We'll see that before we end. Through which he viewed the world. I mean, he saw one thing, but then he put his lens on to see it from God's perspective. Uh, It was his authority through which set his rules. We're going to see in a minute where the king wanted him to do one thing. God's word wanted him to do another thing. Who was he going to obey? Uh, It was the foundation through which he stood on for his whole life. When culture was shifting, he went through three different kings in the book of Daniel. He could stand strong. Put him in the king's palace. Put him in the lion's den. Put his friends Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace. They stood because they stood on this. It was his diet that he ate that gave him the spiritual protein to do what we're going to see in Daniel chapter 1. Can I just ask humbly, what role, as a follower of Christ, if you're not, this question's not for you. What role does this play in your life? How important is this? I was talking to someone uh, today, actually I was talking to them on Friday, and I was telling them in a joking way, when I wake up every morning, I wake up pretty much a pagan every morning. Worries flood my mind, the thoughts of the day, defeating thoughts, all this stuff. I could spend a whole sermon telling you where that comes from. But I claw my way to a place in my house. I start my coffee machine. 
I open the word. I put praise and worship music on. I dig and speak to my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I don't listen to my soul. I speak to it. And in a matter of time, God breaks through and Jesus emerges from this book. And I am a changed man. You would hate who I am apart from this. Daniel was saturated with this. We need to, too. I I just want to be frank. We won't stand in our culture. We will be swept up in this culture. This church will die unless we are assertive. When we see a rooted video, if we go, oh, I don't have time for that. I get it. We're busy. But we've got to make time for what matters most. And in the church, in the history of the church, community where you're known and and where you know people, accountability, digging in the word together, someone saying, okay, I'll hold you accountable this week for that. And I'm going to call your spouse to see if you really are the man of character you want to be this week in a loving way. That's how the church has grown. But when we just make it about a Sunday, and this is the only feeding that you get, I'm just saying this in love, and please don't ever stop coming on a Sunday. As a matter of fact, some of us need to up our convictions about Sunday. But if this is all you get, you're not going to make it in this culture. You may have made it 50 years ago. It won't work today. The current culturally is too strong. I'm saying that in love. I will stand before God one day and give an account for what comes off this platform. And on that day, I want him to know, okay, I I said it. I'm being faithful, okay? Do you take that? I'm not slapping your hand. Do you get my heart in this? I am just asking. I want what you want to be everything you want to be in Christ. Do you hear my heart? Okay, great. Let's keep going. Verse 3. Uh, let's keep going, actually, to verse 5. Here we go. The king assigned them, here it goes, uh-oh, a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained. Do you see this? The culture they were in was not passive. There was an agenda. Can I have your eyes, please? There's an agenda today. And I'm not blaming any human being, because Ephesians is very clear. Our battle is not against any human being. We love the world, right? Remember point two, it's God loved. But there's a spiritual culture today that's out to train and be intentional and steal everything God wants from you and me. They were to be trained for three years. After that, they were entered the king's service. Among those chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. This is their way of stripping their identity. Back in this day, names meant something. And I put it on the bottom of page two. The parents were very intentional in naming them. Parents, we don't do this necessarily. Some do through our names. But the way we raise our kids, we have to be intentional building an identity in our children. That's what Daniel's and these three uh, friends did. But then the chief official gives them brand new names. So you change their names, and Daniel's like, whatever. Change my name, you'll never change my identity. Never. I know who I am. But when they wanted to change the diet, meat and wine prepared for the king, suddenly Daniel had a, a challenge on his hands, the same challenge you and I face at some point. See, because in the book of Leviticus, and we don't have time to build this out, there were very strict dietary laws for the Jews. Very strict. And suddenly, something's placed before them that goes against the word of God. 
Now, if anyone had the right to pull the victim card and go, well, God gave up on me, so forget it, I'm giving up on him. Or if anyone had the right to go, well, that command meant something in Jerusalem, but now I'm in Babylon, it means something different now. It was these guys. They didn't do that. When their lives contradicted the word of God, they leaned into the word of God and said, that's our authority. So do what you want, but I'm humbly, the very important, graciously standing on my convictions. Really important. It's why they didn't care about the names, but when suddenly food sacrifice to pagan idols was given to them, they just put up a humble, gracious, interpersonal protest. Listen, there's a way to stand out in the wrong way. This isn't happening here. They're standing out in the right way. Nor do you notice, they don't say, and all Babylon should do this too. All Babylon weren't followers of Yahweh. Why would they be bound to a sacred book when they don't follow that God? We're not the morality police out there, but we better live different lives in here and with each other. So when we go out there, our lives stand out and people are wooed with a godly jealousy into our lives. Godless, God full, uh, what how did I put it? Godless. Oh, wrong page. God full, godless, and God loved. Very important. So Daniel stands on his convictions. Do you know, here's what happened. When it crossed the line of the word, that's when Daniel stood on the word. When the king said, you got to do something that went against the word of God. Um, and, and I'm finding in Christendom two extremes where it wreaks havoc. One, Christians taking stands for things that the word is not clear about. That's called legalism. On the other extreme, it's Christians compromising where the word is clear. And that's just flat, flat out sin. And, it, 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 and both are actually sin. But it, it, it erodes our lives so that our neighbors look at us and go, really, you serve a supernatural God and there's nothing different about your life. Why would I want to follow him? Daniel stood on these convictions and his life was different. I want to ask again, humbly and graciously, do you know where those lines are? Are you aware? Listen, God doesn't give us guidelines in Scripture to bind us. God isn't looking at us in 2017 saying, basically, I want you to live a life that that is terrible. I want you to be void of joy. I don't want you to have good relationships. So obey my word. No, he's saying this is life. This is life. Amen? And, And like where are we at in our culture? What we're seeing in Charlottesville, why is the church those in the church, why are they standing up? Because of verses like Galatians chapter 3 that says, hey, in Christ, there's not Jew or Greek. There's no ethnic difference. And, and no one's better than. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female. And when you see things like Charlottesville, it's why the people of God say, you know what? This isn't right. Humbly, graciously. And they stand on that. Very important, my friends, very important. Well, what happened? Look, look how they stood. Verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance. By the way, it's the first vegan diet right there. 
Then compare our appearance with those of the young men that eat the royal food. Treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this, and he tested them for 10 days. Our third principle is this. We must predetermine our convictions, predetermine them, and then hold them humbly and graciously. Now, we had a lot of students in the gym, and I was telling them the time. I was a youth pastor for 17 years. I said, you know, the time to determine your sexual values is not at 11.30. When I was a youth pastor, I told kids, nothing godly happens after midnight. (laughs) But the time to determine, hey, what do I really believe about how far is too far? It's not at 11.30 when your date is driving you home or when you're driving your date home. No, 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 you determine that out in a moment when you're thinking rationally and you're in the word, and then it keeps you from getting in those moments. Really important. That's what Daniel did. His convictions, that's what's behind that word resolved in verse 8. They were determined ahead of time. So when he got in a moment where he was in a place of spiritual vertigo and cultural vertigo, he had something to stand on, his convictions. Well, what happened? Look at verse 19. This is so cool. I love this. The king talked with them. Now, I just want to say, would you please, please consider... I'm not your God. I'm not your Savior. I can't tell you what to do. Would you consider praying and making this next line your goal for your next performance evaluation at work? Look what it says. He found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. If there was ever a place for someone to be none equal, it's in the 166 hours you occupy outside this place. Most time in the church we get this wrong and, and it's not so much anymore, but there was a time where we wanted to be known as none equal for the two hours on a Sunday. We wanted to parade our Bible knowledge and, and you know, serve here and serve there. No, no, I love that. Please don't stop that. We need people in children's ministry. We want you to be in a rooted group. But where we need you to be none equal is in the most abandoned mission field in America, the workplace. And then you're ready to give an answer for those who ask you for the hope that's within you. Verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Here's where the Martin Luther King quote comes in that I really love. Look at this. He says this, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets as a Michelang- as, uh, even as Michelangelo painted or as Beethoven composed music or as Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, I love this imagery from Hebrews 12, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Have you ever considered what you do Monday to Friday as an act of worship? I think it would change everything you do if you thought that through. Not only in you, but through you. How does that happen? I could stop right here and make this really, really uh, do more, try harder, harder, and heap guilt on you. But this next and final verse in verse 17 is not in your notes. Here's where the grace comes in. God wants this for us, and so he's graciously providing this. Look at verse 17. Here's a secret. These, these men stood on their convictions. Look what God did. God gave these four young men. That word gave is grace. They didn't earn it. It was a gift. God has a gift for you. I believe with all my heart. When you go to your work and say, God, give me aptitude here. If you're where God wants you, he'll answer that prayer. 
God, give me favor here so that your fame can be known in this place. He'll answer that prayer. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect in literature and wisdom. God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret dreams and visions. Our final principle, and then we're going to pray, it's possible to be culturally significant without being spiritually compromised. Can I just ask you honestly, and and it's rhetorical, but please do not go to bed tonight without sitting in this final question. Do you really believe that? Or is this just some ancient book about a culture 2,600 years ago that has no relevance in our lives today? I'm banking everything that you are the greatest asset in this church. And what you do in the 166 hours outside this church matters. And you can be culturally significant. In other words, you can change the culture in your neighborhood, in your home, in your place of employment without spiritually compromising. Listen, men and women, if Babylon establishes an Ishtar gate and says, this is the gate to the city of the gods, don't you think the God of gods and the Lord of lords should enter through that gate? And don't you think it should enter through the place of your employment too and your campuses? Absolutely, because he loves the people you work with and he's raised you up for such a time as this. So we're gonna pray over a special group of people. Uh, If you know PCC, we love the local schools and we're gonna close by praying for you if you are a student, a teacher, or if you're involved with PE Plus, we want you to stand up right now, student, teacher, administrator, if you're involved in the schools in any way, come on, good job, you guys. Let's clap for these people. PE Plus. Thank you, thank you. I love that. Listen, I know it's hard for all of us. I am just telling you, these people have it. I mean, this sermon is for you. I had you in mind when I was writing this message. So if you're around them, and college students can stand up too. If you're around them, college students, way to go. We love you, we believe in you, and we do not want you to go at this alone. So would you please go around them? I'm gonna pray over them, and then we'll sing out of this. Please, put a hand on these people. Find them, put a hand on them. Father, thank you. Come on, walk to them while I'm praying. Father, thank you. We commission these people. We thank you for them. And we ask that you would use them in great, great ways, much like you did with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We pray you put a resolve in their heart and to know you, to know your word, and Lord, that you would just flow through them, that the product of what they do, the way they treat people on their campus, the way they minister through the classroom, on the playgrounds, with parents, with PTA boards, with the school board, Lord, it would be otherworldly and that we could be known as the place where there is none like those followers of Jesus. So we're asking for this. It's supernatural, but we're asking for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.